0: Hello and welcome to the Kick Aspirational Podcast. My name is David Vanderveen. I've been fortunate enough to build businesses around the world with thousands of entrepreneurs. You can find out more about me at davidvanderveen.com. But you know, as I've traveled the world and, and had these opportunities to meet and work and, and alongside a lot of very interesting people, the question that I keep getting is how can I create the life that I want? How can I create the brand, the behaviors, the, the culture that motivate and drive me? And so this podcast is dedicated to those questions. It's interviewing other people who are on that journey, as well as telling some of my own stories that I hope will help anyone who's wanted to start their own company, create their own brand, build their own life, figure out how to do it for themselves. The simple answer is there are no simple answers. But I think that if we work together and if we interact and if we workshop, we can figure out great ways to move forward in life and create a life worth living, a life with purpose and meaning, a life that makes us all a little bit more kick aspirational. Well, I'm excited today to have Michelle Hearn on the podcast, who is a registered licensed dietitian with over a decade of experience um, as clinical acute care, lead dietitian, and psychiatric care, outpatient dietitian. But Michelle, you're also an avid endurance athlete. Um, you've qualified for the Boston Marathon over a dozen times, and you just won an ultra marathon, which is like 40, almost 45 miles. Uh <laughs> Tell us. So welcome to the podcast, Michelle. Great to have you on today. Um, Tell us a little bit about your journey going from being a dietitian to Getting into ultra marathons, that seems pretty extreme.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. My journey is pretty, pretty gnarly. I've had a pretty intense life journey and a professional journey and certainly athletic journey. Um, you know, my health journey basically starts when I was 12 years old. And I was diagnosed with anorexia nervosa. Uh, I was five feet tall and about 57 and a half pounds. Oh, wow. So I was in, yeah, inpatient treatment. I was given about a 10% chance to survive. Uh, as a 12 year old, I was put on 24 hour two feeding system, but the standard American diet away from my parents, you know, for two months um, and put on seven different medications. And you know, I was told I would probably be if I survived, I would probably have struggles my entire life. I was going to deal with anxiety. I was going to deal with racing thoughts around food as someone dealing with the anorexia. I would I might never grow. I might have you know all these other issues, bone density issues. And although you know I did become weight restored, you know I certainly had a lot of death, <laughs> a lot of issues. You know I, I had severe anxiety and depression throughout my childhood and early adulthood. I did, uh, you know, I knew food was important and powerful. I wanted to become a dietitian because I kind of wanted to understand um, how I could heal my body. You know, I, I became weight restored, but you know as I stated earlier, I still dealt with severe severe anxiety. And constantly, you know, dealing dealing with food, dealing with issues around that, I I I kind of talk about it. Like I felt like I was standing on the sidelines of my own life often. You know, you're just and anybody who's struggled with an eating disorder or an addiction can probably attest to that. Like you're just, it's constantly kind of gnawing at you. Um, and then you know, when I became a registered dietitian in 2009, there were just things that didn't really make sense. You know, to become a dietitian, you um, you know, you get your four year degree and then you get into an internship. And during my internship we would go into the room as somebody with type 2 diabetes and type 2 diabetes you know is a disease where people can no longer uh, effectively utilize carbohydrates so the blood right. sugar is high Right. And, and my preceptor would say like yeah we're just going to teach them to have carbohydrates throughout the day and dose them with medication throughout the day and i would just ask questions i would just say like hey um sh- should we teach them how to eat less carbohydrates and that's like blasphemy and like, no 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 that's you know, we're taught as dietitians that carbohydrates are the foundation of human nutrition. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're underweight, overweight, kidney failure, heart disease, you must have enough carbohydrates, you know, your brain will, won't function, like that's what we're taught.
0: Yeah. and, and, and then, it's, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. I didn't mean to right, go ahead. No, but I think that's, so I have a couple of questions that stem out of that. Like one, yeah. did you become a dietitian because of your kind of previous issues around food?
1: Yeah, no, I wanted to understand and I, I and I had recovered to the point where, like I said, I was weight restored. And so initially it was my hope that I could help other people. So, yeah, that was the drive behind that for sure.
0: And then when you're in it, then, of course, because you're not just there to regurgitate what you're being told, because this is actually a deep, powerful. This is something that directly affects your life, right? Whereas maybe healthy sure. people coming into the field. Were you asking more questions than maybe some of your your counterparts or some of your peers in, in, those, in those cohorts?
1: Yeah, I would imagine, you know, I think I think anytime we're dealing with something personal, we want to understand, like, help me understand so I can not only help others, but I want to heal me, you know, I want to not be so anxious, I want to not have panic attacks, I want to, seems like other people can function in this world without constantly thinking about food, I want to feel that I want to understand that, right? So, yeah, I know. Absolutely. Absolutely. And,
0: yeah. and and it sounds like what you're what you were experiencing is pretty normal. You're They're showing you the traditional food pyramid that's based on a carbohydrate, rich carbohydrate diet. And absolutely. they're talking about people who can't process carbohydrates and they're saying, oh, don't worry about it. Just give them all the carbs and we'll give them insulin and it'll all be fine. And you're saying, well, what if we did backed off the carbs? Would that help? And they're going, no, 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 that's that's not OK.
1: Yeah. And that's that. I mean, this was in, like I said, 2009 and that's wow. still how most dietitians are trained. I mean, the traditional dietitians are trained um, utilizing the nutrition guidelines. Like you said, it's a very carbohydrate heavy 60 to 65 percent of your diet should be from carbohydrates. And, you know, it doesn't we've seen the results of that They're they're in and it's not good right now. Yes. I mean Statistically. Where only seven percent of the population is metabolically healthy, meaning that ninety-three percent of the population is not.
0: And, and, and tell, tell us what that means, real quick. What does metabolic health mean? Or being yeah. So how healthy? they
1: measure metabolically healthy, they use a few different things. One, they they, they use your weight. You know, are you overweight, obese? They use um, blood pressure. You know, do you have high blood pressure? Do you have high blood sugar? Is your blood sugar pre-diabetic or diabetic? Um, blood pressure. Blood pressure. Oh, shoot. There's like one other thing I can't think of, but I mean, like that.
0: It's your it's your baseline health indicators health, basically yeah. around sugar and, and how your metabolism works, right?
1: Exactly. Exactly. And uh, yeah, very few of us in the United States, unfortunately, you know, around the world are actually healthy. And, and that's just from a, a physiological, um, a physical standpoint. When we look at mental health, you know, the rates of um, depression, uh, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, those are increasing exponentially over the last few decades.
0: Do you think that's also related to diet?
1: Yeah, absolutely, a thousand percent.
0: Because you're, you're diet, you're obviously you're a registered licensed dietitian, but you're also, I notice you also work in psychiatric uh, diet. And, and so can you tell us a little bit about that? How, I mean, I think yeah. for a lot of people, it's fairly easy to correlate, you know, too many carbs, especially simple carbs, Maybe you can correct me here if I'm if I say anything that's wrong or you disagree with. Please interrupt. So oh, well. most of us, thank you. Most of us, I think, correlate you know a diet rich in sugars and starches to type two diabetes or in obesity. Is that is that a fair assumption?
1: Yeah. Well, most dietitians might tell you that it's everything in moderation. But yes, I would say at least the population, the percentage of the population that has some brain cells can say, yeah, I eat too much sugar. That's a bad thing, right?
0: Yeah. I mean that's. I'm a simple man. I'm just trying to figure this out. But <laughs> yeah. you're saying, and you're saying that that it's not just correlated to the obvious, you know, indicators like obesity, diabetes, type type, type two diabetes, but it's also correlated to think things like psych- psychiatric disorders.
1: Yeah, and you know, Dr. Uh, Chris Palmer, Dr. Georgia E have done some incredible research on this, and we have really good case studies now clinical trials that people on ketogenic diets people with alzheimer's people with dementia people with bipolar disorder are uh, significant improvement you know with a ketogenic diet like if a pill did that it would be all over the news right? right um but like you said like if I can break that down just so it makes sense to people like wait how does how does what you eat actually impact your brain? Um,
0: Maybe explain the ketogenic diet too, like how you're defining that, because there's a lot of different kind of versions of that. I I shouldn't say a lot, but there's different approaches to that, I should say.
1: Yeah, so, you know, if if somebody just says low carb, I mean, it's kind of like saying natural, that doesn't necessarily have a a, a definition, (laughs) but an actual ketogenic diet is a diet that is very high in fat. It it tends to be between 70 and 75% fat, is very low in carbohydrates usually five percent or less of your calories is from carbohydrates um in most cases it ends up being about 20 grams of carbohydrates or less and then it's you know between 10 to 15 percent protein so it's a um you know i wouldn't say low moderate to low protein very high fat and when you eat in that way you no longer your brain your body is no longer running on glucose you're running on ketones And so, why is that important? Um, And that goes back to you know the brain health. And when I like when I explain this, first of all, the brain has insulin receptors. We didn't used to think that insulin was important in the brain, and we're still learning. You know, a lot of different things about the brain. Yeah. But um, I like to talk about. Most people know uh, about epilepsy, right? So epilepsy is a disease. an inability to to metabolize glucose so babies are born with epilepsy toddlers can have epilepsy and it's not because the baby had a bad diet um the baby just can't utilize carbohydrates or glucose if you feed this baby glucose you know it will have a seizure you put the baby on a very high fat ketogenic diet it stops seizing so the brain is not utilizing glucose and in the medical community it's totally cool with that we got it fine But we have good evidence that the brain, people with major depression, people with bipolar disorder, people with schizophrenia are not able to utilize glucose in the brain. Well, And what does that mean? That can manifest itself as severe depression. That can manifest itself in visual or audio, um, auditory hallucinations. That can manifest itself as a lot of different things. And so the solution to that, um, clearly you know <laughs> try a ketogenic diet does that work for everybody absolutely not but certainly if that is the case you know if that's truly what's going on with the individual trying i mean one there's pretty much no negative effects that can happen from it sure. you know, it's not dangerous yeah. to do that other than you know of course i should always disclaim you know i'm certainly not a medical doctor It can change your electrolytes if you're on medications talk to your provider but if you are someone, you know, has been dealing with massive anxiety, depression, bipolar disorder and has taken all the meds and seen no improvement. I mean, it's amazing how effective um, changing your diet. So your are you're actually your brain is uh, fueled with ketones versus glucose can be
0: I love this. This is I mean, obviously, we're not saying, hey, don't talk to your doctor, get off your meds, just go to a ketogenic diet. No, don't do that,
1: that's a bad idea.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. especially if it's a serious psychiatric disorder. Psychiatric disorder, sure. But this could really help, and it may, and there may be people who don't have to take their meds if this really works for them. I mean, that's that's sort of interesting. Um, And I'm not saying that you're saying they they don't need their meds and have to be really careful about that, but I think it could really help some people, it sounds like. Have you known people that have gotten off meds because Ah, they've- absolutely.
1: yeah. If, the, if, you, if, the, if the problem is your brain can't feel the glucose, then you don't need medication. You need to feel the ketones. Right. So that might not be the problem. It might be something else. But we've seen um, with large amounts, there's actually a, you know, Dr. Palmer got uh, a pilot study funded. So they're, you know, they're going to do that. And I think we'll have more clinical trials and case studies to show this. But, you know, I, like you said, I worked in mental health and the vast majority of people I saw did not get better. Did not get better with lots of medication. You know, they would come in, they would come out. People dealing with, you know, a lot, of, a lot of issues. Um, yeah, yeah. And the way we treat mental health is just, in my opinion, is pretty horrific. The the food in a psychiatric hospital, the average amount of sugar that we feed our patients a day is forty two teaspoons. Whoa, forty two teaspoons of sugar. So just for the normal human, that's a lot of sugar. Not not with somebody dealing with a psychiatric disease. Not saying they're normal. I'm just saying that they're dealing with the disease. Um. So talk about if you can't metabolize that well, that's just going to exacerbate the problem. It's
0: just going to make it worse. Well, I think we we were just before we started the podcast, we were chatting a little bit. And I think, you know, this is something I had seen. I was hospitalized this last summer for a kidney issue. I didn't realize I had high uric acid. I got severely dehydrated in the summer and was working out and traveling a lot of things going on and uh, and ate ate, like 24 oysters um, and had a little bit of wine with it. And apparently because I already have high uric acid compact in my kidneys, put me in kidney failure. I had to get that resolved. Um, but as I was sitting in the hospital, my first hospital visit ever, hopefully my not hopefully my last, um, they brought a guy in to share the room with me who had been through apparently some kind of a diabetic, uh, you know, uh, reaction or, or problem. It seemed like he wasn't processing thoughts properly. Maybe, you know, some kind of he was having some kind of difficulty. And so when the dietitian came in to offer us our food choices, um, you know, she was offering him sodas and fruit cups, and I kept saying across, "He's diabetic. <laughs> like maybe we shouldn't be offering him all these sugar choices," which didn't there you really go,
1: having common sense. Good. Yeah, but it didn't really. But
0: it, that didn't connect to the dietitian, right? It was kind of funny that I just thought it was odd that at a hospital where these you know dietitians trained, um, but. To your point that's not how the training works, right?
1: Exactly. That's how dieticians we're trained that every disease state needs carbohydrates. Diabetics get, you know, most of the time it was 75 to 90 grams of carbohydrates per meal. Wow. Most people don't need that much per day. Yeah. Um and and it and it's also it's very interesting. You know, I don't think we really teach people like what happens to to that, you know, if you're if you're diabetic and you give a diabetic, you know, a soda, their blood sugar goes way high, right? Oh yeah, of course. But we, yeah. but we give them insulin. Oh, we we'll give them insulin, it's fine. The blood sugar gets back normal. But this blood sugar doesn't go into a magical universe, right? It, <laughs> it's not yeah. like all of a sudden, it's like everything's fine. I mean, if, if you're type two diabetic, it's like a hoarder's house. There's right. no more room at the end. And so when you eat carbohydrates and you take insulin, it has to go somewhere. And where does it go? it goes to your fat storage. Fat and that's storage, why yeah. type two diabetics have a, you know, two to four fold risk of having heart disease. Right. It's not just magically gonna go away. It's criminal how we um, treat type two diabetics, eating carbohydrates. That's uh, You can't tolerate carbohydrates, so have carbohydrates consistently throughout the day. I right. mean, tell, tell that to a five-year-old and see if they'll be, that doesn't make sense, well, and, you know? and
0: know, Yeah, no, of course, <laughs> it's, it's, it's the simple math, right? It's like common sense. I, I noticed I was, I love your Instagram um tell us your Instagram handle real quick so can hear. uh
1: yeah I'm at run eat meat repeat
0: at run eat meat repeat we'll put it in the in the content too <laughs> it's pretty much but, my day <laughs> that's so good um and we're getting so let's let's get to that but I noticed one of the interviews you had you had you had a a woman on who was eating only beef salt and water that was is that my getting that right and she had questions for you about if that was okay or if she needed more carbohydrate tell us about that a little bit that seemed a little extreme to me
1: (laughs) oh yeah jessica so she invited me on um we did i do a lot of parody videos right because people like funny videos right and yeah so beef salt and water a lot of people it's called the lion diet it's a pretty extreme version of a low carbohydrate diet and for somebody that has specifically like really intense autoimmune issues Mm -hmm. those might be the only foods they can utilize and um metabolize you know um but for the majority of humans you know i certainly recommend a low carbohydrate diet i'm a huge advocate i think the foundation of our nutrition should be those meats animal you know meat and fat but most people can, you know, tolerate some carbohydrates, some plant foods, but it should be a relatively small amount, depending on what you can you tolerate, your goals, your life, versus the flip-flop, which is like eat as much, you know, breads as possible and maybe a little bit of meat here and there.
0: Does it does it matter? So when you're talking about the ketogenic diet, 70, 75% fat, does it matter what kind of fats you're getting? Is it animal fats, like avocados, you know, healthy fats? Are there different types of fats we should be looking for or avoiding?
1: Yeah, you know, I'm not convinced that saturated fat um, is is bad. I mean, we, we literally, as, as humanity, we evolved eating the megafauna, right? We right. literally evolved eating the only, animals. pretty much, yeah, animals. And of course, you know, people have asked like, okay, well, what if I'm coming in from a context where I already have, you know, heart disease or other things? And I honestly, I don't have good answers for that. I do not yeah. know, but it is my, um, you know, it's certainly my hypothesis that, um, eating a diet mostly of animal fats is is not harmful. And you know, people like David Feldman that are doing lipid research um are going to are going to answer some of those questions. Um and, but we and I can talk real quick about heart disease. Well so, and I'd like to
0: point out you're saying sure. eat those eat those animal fats and saturated fats without the sugars, starches and carbs, right? Yes. Because that's okay. where you
1: have the problem. That's where you have the problem. Um, because you know, people that, that's what happened with heart disease. Like certainly back in the seventies and eighties is we looked at like occluded arteries. We looked at arteries in the heart that had plaque and they, one, they kind of black, kind of looked like uh, animal fat, right? It's thick, but yeah. you would find LDL, you would find low density lipoprotein in those arteries. And we know when we eat a lot of animal products, our LDL increases. Okay. So, you know, you go to a doctor, you get your blood, you know, cholesterol taken. Like I have my, you know, my uh, blood taken and my doctor's like, oh, my God, your LDL is so high. Um, But you have to look at everything in context.
0: Right. Triglycerides, et cetera. Right.
1: Exactly. Because LDL is extremely important. We have lots of good studies that especially as people get older, high LDL prevents cognitive decline. Mm. High LDL prevents infections because LDL is very important in the immune system. So the question being like, why do we see LDL get stuck in arteries? and you alluded to it you have to have some type of inflammation or oxidation in an artery ldl is just doing its job it's like a right. good worker it's flowing through the arteries going to where it needs to go so something has to happen inside the artery for ldl to get stuck and what's the number one cause high blood sugar over time hyperglycemia oh, wow. tons of sugars and start that's once again type 2 diabetics two to four fold you know yeah, yeah, risk yeah. of having heart disease so in the context of a low-carbohydrate animal-based diet, I'm not concerned about LDL at all. And like you said, your triglycerides are low, your C-reactive protein is low, your insulin is low. Like, But yeah, you you made a very good point. If your blood sugar is high, if you're type 2 diabetic and you're eating a lot of animal protein, that's a big problem.
0: Right. So the first, first step is make sure you're... Well, and correct me again. I'm making assumptions. I'm just trying to repeat what I think I'm hearing. If I'm getting it wrong, mm-hmm. please correct me. But so... First step, where's your blood sugar? at? Second step, you know, you can adjust out of out of the carbs and the starches and into more of a, a, a protein and, and particularly fat and protein diet.
1: Yes. And I mean, for somebody who is type two diabetic, I mean, we can literally I, I saw patients that had, had type two diabetes for years. I mean, decades yeah. Yeah. that were having amputations, you know, that had massive open wounds, rotting teeth, you know, all this horrible things. And Dr. Eric Westman has presented really good studies. There's amazing. You just Google scholar, like Dr. Eric Westman, low carb. Um, we were, they were able to get people off 150 units of insulin in eight days.
0: Wow. Going days. to, going, changing their diet.
1: To just a low carb diet. Like they wow. didn't exercise they didn't they just took the carbs out. And these people who have been using this, then that's a lot of insulin for someone who's not familiar with insulin. Yeah. Um, if 14 days they were able to start resensitizing your cells to glucose, and because you know, type 2 diabetes your cells aren't responding. So, once again, the house is full, no more carbs. If you're type right. 2 diabetic, it's uh, how we treat it in this country, I guess, you know, worldwide, it's, it's pretty awful.
0: So, I, I have two friends, and maybe you can help put this in context. I have two friends, uh, who, who were let's just say obese for most of their adult lives, and in their 60s went to a plant based diet with low starch right low sugar mm-hmm. low to no sugar and starches does the type of carbohydrate and and they were able to move you know they lost a ton of weight they were able to get off their they ditched their type 2 diabetes does the type of carbohydrate matter like if it's a complex carb like leafy vegetables things with a lot of fiber versus simple sugars and starches does that does that matter or what what's your
1: Oh sure I mean that? it it definitely matters like you know, if you're eating broccoli versus yeah,
0: yeah. pop tarts <laughs> or the whole orange versus drinking orange juice, right? I mean, yeah, different insulin absolutely. Responses. yeah.
1: absolutely. You're going to get a much bigger insulin response when you're having, you know, concentrated sugars and flours. But for somebody that's type two diabetic, I mean, eating a bowl of oatmeal will skyrocket your blood sugar. So it's right. not like, you know, for someone who's really profoundly insulin resistant, you know, I'm a big advocate for getting those carbohydrates out. It doesn't have to be forever, but you know, at least for a set period of time.
0: Get the house in line, and did this? Did all of this sort of the sort of the hypotheses that you're thinking through in your own life experience? Is this what led you to the dietitian's dilemma? The, the book that am I getting the t- title right? By the way, yes, dilemma Yes, the
1: dietitian's dilemma. Yeah, 2019. Um, I was uh, trying to qualify for the Olympic trials in the marathon. So at that at that point, you had to run under um, two hours and forty eight minutes wow. for females, and I'd run two fifty four. And so i was training really hard and like um all of a sudden it just felt like i wasn't recovering well from runs and uh, you know it was achy i wasn't sleeping you know i got lab work done everything looked fine i started having um panic attacks i started having cold sweats on my runs i um you know i reached out to a few sports dietitians and at that time i was eating a very high carbohydrate low fat diet um about 400 grams of carbohydrates a day i mean lots of whole grains lots of fruits and vegetables yeah. And my two dietitians that I reached out to told me I needed to eat more, more carbohydrates, more carbohydrates. And, as you can imagine, that didn't go particularly well. So I um I had a particularly difficult day at the hospital. I was uh, still working in the hospital this time. I was covering oncology, and we had a patient pass away. I came home oh, wow. early. I fell asleep on the couch and I woke up at like two in the morning, and it just felt like my body was on fire. You know, oh, I had wow. no answers. I yes. everything hurt. I was anxious and, you know, I'm just standing there in the living room and I'm like, I do not know what to do. I've taken all the ibuprofen, you know, drink, I've done all this different, nothing is working. And so I drove to 7-Eleven at like 3 in the morning and got 30 pounds of ice and put it in the bathtub. And, you know, my wife came in and was like, you know, maybe, maybe we should do something different. And that's when I'm like, yes, I'm done. I'm not running. I'm old. You know, that time I was 36 I was like, I'm too old to compete and, you know, the marathoning. And yeah, and that's, you know, it's interesting because, you know, certainly at that time as I'm like crying, I didn't think like this is going to be a really important turning point in my life. Right. But the day after, I just, you know, I was like, yeah, I should try a lower carb diet because I intuitively knew that all these carbs are not making me feel well, but it went against everything I'd ever learned. Right. And so, you know, the next several weeks I ended up going full carnivore for uh 30 you know, I did have coffee, but I ended up adopting, you know, an animal-based completely meat diet. Which you know, my partner and I were argued over. so like, "This is crazy. This is eating disordered." But three weeks after starting it, I actually got home um, from work, and she was already sitting on the couch. Uh, and she asked me, like, "Hey, can you can you come here real quick?" And you know, anyone who's married or has a partner, they're like, "Sure." That's, that's not a great sign. Like, am I anxiety?
0: in trouble? I, yeah, what's going on? Am I in on? trouble? Yeah.
1: But she just said, "Hey, you know what? I don't know if I like how you're eating, but this is the best your anxiety has been in eleven years." Like. Wow. And it, we were both just like, "What is going on?" And so that's what led to um, a lot of research. I mean, she works um, in healthcare as well, so we both had access to you know a lot of research articles and clinical trials. And I just became very angry. I had no idea there were so many clinical trials on low carb diet. Wow! Like, wh- why, why is no one talking about this? Why is nobody teaching me this as a dietitian? Why am I why am I giving terrible advice when this other option is available?
0: Well, it's it's so. part of the problem. I mean. Obviously you're a scientist, you're, your wife is a scientist and and you know as scientists you're trying to always remove bias, but at the same time we all have bias right And if we're not aware of our bias, that's half the problem. And it sounds like if I'm getting this right, you know, part of the dietitian problem is you're, you're trained with these theories that you know have a lot of scientific reasoning behind them. but if you don't check your bias, it may not actually be there's other observable facts and models that may work better for some people. Is that, is that right?
1: I uh, no, I'm going to disagree. I actually don't okay. think that the um, there's a lot of scientific facts behind the nutrition guidelines. <laughs> <laughs> My, I have an entire chapter on where they came from and it's political and it's religion and it's not science. So uh, no, I think it's, it, the Academy of Nutrition, which is the governing board of all dietitians, who basically owns our runs our education, is sponsored by Coca Cola, PepsiCo, you know, General Mills. Sure. Um, they recently cool. just had the a New York Times article. Sure. That came out that said that they're actually the Academy is invested in Coca Cola's stock, which yeah. seems to be the definition of a conflict of interest to me. <laughs>
0: you
1: um, think? Yeah. So yeah, but you know it, it it's horrible. So. Once again, how can you expect the we're supposed to be the nutrition experts, but our education is, um, you know, skewed towards Look,
0: that. it's it's where the money comes from. Right? I mean, it's for good or bad. I think to your point, you could go to like a place like Cornell and the dairy industry is heavily involved. Right. And so any any research that happens there is going to get funded. There is always a, an agenda behind the research, even if the intent is is healthy money's not going to keep showing up if the outcomes are saying stop drinking milk as an example, or like I worked in the wine industry and, and ran a beverage alcohol laboratory, you know, UC Davis is a great, a great school for, you know, for the wine industry, heavily financed by the wine industry. right? So Yeah, yeah. no,
1: I, I mean, it, it's, it's driving it's a lot really of the research. Is, yeah. It's about money. And I mean, I'm not, you know, hopefully most people listening to this aren't naive, um, but I... I did not know how deeply, profoundly like, corrupt it was until you know I got sick and I got my health back, and then I and that's you know why I wrote the book and that's why I, you know put all the clinical trials in there and I I wanted it to be really reader friendly, but I just saw so much suffering, and to think that you know over the decade I, I I practiced in the hospital, how much suffering could I have prevented or helped in my own suffering? You know, I used to be an anxious mess. I couldn't run anymore. Right. And now I run ultramarathons. I run distances over 26 miles. I I have a really happy life, right? I'm not riddled with anxiety or depression or eating disorder thoughts anymore. And the fact that um, that's not even presented as an option, right. I think is really, really sad.
0: Hi, this is Dave Vanderveen, and And this is a little ad for my one of my favorite brands for Nirvana Water Sciences, where I happen to be the CEO. But I wanted to share with you why I became the CEO. You know, I, I, I didn't have to... Get a new job. I didn't have to come to this company. It was some a company I've been talking to for over a year before I joined them. Uh, I was absolutely enamored with their science, with HMB, uh, beta-hydroxy beta metabutyrate which which amplifies protein synthesis. And you know, I'm 54. The older I get, the more that matters because as we age, you know, as we get past 30, we start losing five to six percent of our muscle mass every year. And, you know, I'm a guy who likes to get out there, get active, have adventure. And I like to, you know, ski powder and, and with helicopters. I like to surf bigger waves. I like to free dive. I, I like to move. I like to run. I like to trail run. Um, I like to hike. And all those things require only really muscle mass. Well, and and let me ask you this. So kind of shifting to your, your athleticism. I mean, sure. here you are running marathons at a very fast pace. Um, you know, in my twenties, I think the fastest I ever got was like three thirty or, or something like that. You know, which wasn't setting any records. It was good for me, but but uh, you know, no one was looking for a six foot. You know, no one was looking for me <laughs> to, to compete in marathons. I was just doing it on my own. Um, but you're doing it at a very you know at a. You said sub two. Thirty is that right? Two fifty? No,
1: two fifty-four. Two fifty-four. So,
0: so you're doing a six. What is that? What's what's your average mile speed at that six?
1: A six. It was like six forty-eight. I think six fifty. Yeah. Something around there. Yeah, it's moving.
0: That's quick. Okay, so, as you, that was not that long ago, right? You said you were thirty-six when that. Yeah, was like
1: 2017 or
0: eighteen. Yeah, was my last marathon. I mean, for my well, point
1: i marathons and training, but yeah. For, it, <laughs>
0: and how did, how did changing your diet change your performance? So obviously you felt better, your body's resp- your, it sounds like your inflammation markers dropped off quite a bit, but you also shifted to longer distances. Did your speed change? Did your, you, how did you, how did you go from speed marathons to the longer distances and I would just love to hear the impact overall on your athletic performance and recovery
1: yeah you know and it was it was not something that i i really thought i could ever do again like i was starting to have to make peace with like maybe i'm not going to be able to run because it was pretty bad i would go out like i said for a few miles and just get like dizzy and shaky yeah
0: um You're not and recovering, so, right? yeah.
1: yeah yeah and it was i think so much tied to just having these hyper and hypoglycemia impacts from all the carbohydrates um so you know One of the things about eating a lower carbohydrate diet, especially as an endurance athlete, well, the goal of any endurance athlete, it doesn't matter if you're you know, winning the Boston Marathon or back of the pack, is you want to be able to defend your muscle glycogen, right? Because anyone who's run a marathon, there's that dreaded, like, you don't want to hit the wall.
0: You You don't want to bomb. bomb. I've
1: done that before. (laughs) You know, you're late. feel like you're running in quicksand. (laughs) So you want to be able to ideally, to burn as much fat for fuel, even at faster paces, because we you, you're not gonna run out of stored body fat. The right, Kenyans who are like 5% body fat have, I think it's statistically enough to run like 10 marathons back to back to back to back, just the body fat. I mean, you're gonna have muscle fatigue, but just we're talking pure energy. Yeah, but I mean, we my, only my,
0: have, Yeah, if I, if I can, can interrupt you real quick. I mean, one of my favorite quotes from a marathon, one of the Kenyans was somebody said, I can't believe how fast you run a marathon, you know, two minute range. And uh, and his response was, I can't believe people run for four hours. And
1: that's pretty
0: impressive, like I I feel that muscle glycogen is what I mean, right? Because it's part of it's well, I don't know, from my experience, like there's a point where the longer you're out there, just the harder and harder it gets. Is that is that right?
1: Well, I mean, it depends depends. Uh, once again, like, yeah, yeah, what are you burning? And you know, when you're running like a super elite marathon runner, you know, they're going to be burning a lot of muscle glycogen when you're running at that pace. So for somebody like me, like people have asked me if I could follow this diet and run a super fast marathon. I don't know. I don't think so. Um, Probably not. But for the type of running that I do, you know, the 50 miles, 62 miles, um, you know, I'm still able to run.
0: And how long are you out there? You're like six um, hours.
1: So for my 50 mile was seven. Oh, well, yeah. my last 50 mile was a little rough. That, that was 24 mile an hour winds. But you know, wow, that was wow. it. And the other one was like trudging through. Uh, yeah, it's a different world. <laughs> so the longest I've, I've run was like, I think 10 hours. Um, wow. But
0: There's being, no way you're like, going to do that eating carbs. You've got to get your body burning fat. you got get to get, get right. your body yep. to
1: burn fat. I mean, and you could, there are a lot of ultra runners, you know, um, are, are very high carbohydrate humans. But the problem with that is, you know, um, I think statistically about 40% of people don't finish ultra marathons because of right. GI distress. You're having all that sugar. Yeah.
0: You're so just chugging, chugging goose and stuff. Right?
1: Yeah. yeah. Goose, Gatorade, fruit, candy, whatever. So the goal is like, how can I train my body to burn as much fat for fuel? And then I'm going to use carbohydrates strategically. You know, I'm so for somebody like if, when I was a high carbohydrate athlete. You know, I'm having to probably take in 50 to 60, maybe more grams of carbohydrates an hour.
0: Right. As a
1: lower carbohydrate athlete, I can take in 20. <laughs> you know, and, and so one. So I'm and, and I'm feeling better. I don't. I don't have that kind of you know energy um, spiking crash that I used to have. Yeah, and I also yeah. sleep a lot better. I feel like my muscles are less sore, sleep better, which obviously impacts your recovery. Um, yeah for me my iron has been much better i think for twofold once you know i eat certainly more animal protein than i used to i'm also not eating so much phytic acid you know phytic acid is in grains beans a lot of the things that i was going to ask uh, what 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 phytic phytic
0: acids in that's 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 yeah i think
1: about breads like everything and phytic acid binds to iron you know iron isn't just a rudder problem i mean iron is the number one mineral deficiency worldwide um and it's like, well, are people mostly eating, you know, liver and burger patties? Or are they eating like spaghetti and mac and cheese and bread? It's like, you know.
0: So, that's, talk, <laughs> that's so while a we're on name. that, since you brought it up, so talk to us about what your training regimen is. Like, what are you eating every day? Do you change your diet before a, a, an ultra marathon? And is liver, I know this raw liver, there's a raw liver, you know, the liver king kind of made it popular. And then there was some controversy around the rest of his uh, supplementation, let's say. <laughs>
1: yeah, um, <laughs> that's a nice <laughs> way to put it. <laughs> yeah. it turns out, turns situation. out
0: anabolic steroids work pretty well too, but. Um, they do, what do you know? What do you know? Yeah, uh, not so great for your kidneys, but but pretty good for building the muscle mass. What, um, tell, tell us about your diet and tell us, do you adapt it, change it when you're doing your race days, et cetera?
1: Um, you know, I, I would say it adapts and changes more more kind of like during my training cycle, like versus, um, you know, am I doing a lot of like base mileage? So kind of the slower, longer stuff, are we starting to incorporate more higher intensity workouts? So certainly when I'm doing more of the higher intensity, I'm gonna increase my carbohydrate intake. Um, You know, I do a lot of my runs, especially my easier runs fasted, so just some electrolytes. You know, I always prioritize protein after running. Um, And then, yeah, my sources, I usually have carbohydrates twice a day, and that just depends. You know, I always tell people, people, like, what's the best carb if I'm going to have one? And I really, I think honestly, it's probably if you're metabolically healthy, it's one half dozen, another. Um, what settles on your stomach? What feels okay? Um, I do some white rice. I do long fermented sourdough. Uh, sometimes I do a little bit of fruit. I'm not a huge fruit person. Um, we do some carrots, um, cabbage, kind of what's in, what's in season. I actually need to. Fill up my yard. I'm gonna plant again this year. But a lot of uh, a lot of meat. You know, we get a cow share, um, so a lot of beef. Usually, I have a beef twice a day um, after I run, and then how, in the how evening. Much,
0: how much are you eating? When you, like after you run, how many grams of of beef protein or whatever protein you're tasting?
1: It depends. You know, usually about half a pound. Um, sometimes more. Sometimes like after a really hard run, if my stomach's just kind of like, uh, we're not really feeling this, then I might just push it off to like the mid meal and just have some eggs or some yogurt or something that's easier that settles in my stomach. But usually getting some animal-based protein three times a day.
0: That's great. How are, are are eggs? I mean, you know, there's a lot of controversy around uh eggs historically, right? You were told that you can't eat the yolks because it's too much cholesterol. <laughs> that's yeah, I've changing. got a video
1: coming out um probably soon yeah you know even as bozo-y as the nutrition guidelines are and as much as i make fun of them i mean they were at least in 2015 they were like ah crap this isn't right so they even (laughs) dropped the recommendations for cholesterol um there's none in the nutrition guidelines because i mean if you eat a vegan diet so you've taken no cholesterol your brain will make all the cholesterol it needs like that's how important it is for your body so yeah i i'm you know, once again, this is the way we ate throughout evolution. We had a lot of cholesterol throughout sure. the, you know, eating animals, and we were just fine until we introduced a lot of the starches and, and, and oils and sugar. and sugar. Yep.
0: Yeah, yeah. And um, you mentioned fasting. Do you do intermittent fasting? Do you train intermittent fasting? It sounds like on some of the lighter days you do.
1: Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you know, when I wake up, I'll just have some coffee and, um, you know, some electrolytes. But I don't. I don't have like a time like, oh, I'm not going to eat till 10 or noon or whatever. Cause in general, I'm trying to get a pretty decent amount of calories. Um,
0: sure. well, you're burning a of ton the, of them, right? Yeah,
1: exactly. And I found that running really suppresses my appetite. So sometimes I even have to be creative with like how much butter I'm going to put in something like, oh, this is, you know, adding, <laughs> adding extra fats to, to things.
0: What's your, what's your weekly mileage on, on average?
1: Um, right now. I mean, it's not super high right now because we're just starting. So it's when you're just, just starting, it'll start at like 40 and it should get up to about 85
0: miles a week. And and how many days a week are you running?
1: Uh, Most of the time I only run six. Most of the time I I take a full day off. And then, um, when we get up to that 85 though, I I will run twice a day, two days a week.
0: So what's your, do you know what your daily burn rate is? How many calories you're burning on average a day? Don't, you know,
1: not so. a glue. I'm yeah. more low tech, you know, yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't even love my Garmin. I'm like, ah, I don't need to know all this. Like, so all right. <laughs> I just, you, you know, I do eat a lot though. I will tell people, I think that's one of the big mistakes people make, especially women, you know, on lower carb. Um, you can't, don't under eat, you know, you got to make sure you're getting enough nutrition and protein and fat are pretty satiating. Right. So making yeah. sure that you're pretty, you know, in. yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, and do you, are you supplementing with, other do you take other supplements if you're not i mean i'm just thinking you know my brain goes to the old food pyramid do you need other if you're not eating a lot of food fruits and vegetables do you have voice to supplement that or do you need to
1: i don't think so um i mean i don't i, I do take it at, at night i'll take a like a calcium magnesium right you know just to help me sleep but um yeah i don't i personally don't and i haven't had any issues and obviously had my electrolytes and things tested um but yeah if you're doing like a pure you know, like if you're doing like a pure carnivore, you know, very meat-heavy diet. You know, we've they've even shown that you're able to get some vitamin C through um, you know, through organ meats, even at small amounts of meat. So I think the problem is if you're getting a lot of the processed foods, then you're going to start to have some issues.
0: Wow, that's incredible. So what are the common questions that that you get that I haven't asked you and from you people asking common <laughs> questions? I, you, oh, have a, asking you have a lunch such lunch. a great Instagram wall. I was kind of scrolling through and checking the different, what are the things that you're trying to answer in your book and that you're, you're getting on a regular basis on your social that, um, that you think there are some big misconceptions?
1: Yeah. just the big misconception that meat is bad for you. That fat is bad for you, that we need, um, to eat lots of carbohydrates throughout the day, that sugar in moderation is, is great. You know, um, that sugar addiction doesn't exist. Um, I think those things keep people sick. I think people, a lot of people. um, I think if you're dealing with obesity or type two diabetes, you need to be really honest with yourself. Like, do is this <laughs> clearly this is not not working, right? So you know, my the whole goal of the book was just to get people hope. You know, I I was twelve when I was told like, yeah, this is your life. This is you're gonna suffer the rest of your life. That's right. a horrible thing one to tell twelve year old. Um, but two also just. The human brain and body just have a tremendous capacity to heal. But in my opinion, in my experience, in my clinical research, it's not just from a pill. You can't put things in your body and then expect to not have consequences, right? Like, I want people to understand that humans, we all have a species specific diet. Most people can kind of wrap their heads around that for other species, right? Sure, like, oh, sure. You know, I have a, we have a dog and a tortoise. So right. Jackson, the dog, it's differently right. than the different tortoise, things. right? Yeah, 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 like, yeah, yeah. we wouldn't feed them the same. That would be strange. They would, that would probably not go well for one of them. Right. Um, but when it comes to humans, people just argue like crazy. And so, in, so like, let's look at human physiology. Let's look at our GI tract. Let's look at stomach acid. Let's look at bioavailability. Um, so yeah, I, I just want people to understand that there's, a different way to look at things, like if you're dealing with depression, if you're dealing with uh, obesity and eating disorder, um, you know, you have a history of issue, heart disease or heart issues. Like there's a different way to look at things.
0: You know, I, I'll i ask about alcohol. So I I, uh, sure. I drink a little bit, um, used to drink a lot more. Part of my role with my previous company that I owned was throwing parties around the world. So some sometimes throwing two or three parties a day and at one point, I was talking to my trainer, and I was like, "Hey, I want to, you know, trim up a little bit. Uh, what do you, you know, what, what can we do?" And he's like, "And yeah, we were working out pretty hard, pretty aggressively. And I like to do three sport days and stuff." And he goes, "He goes, well, you know, only drink on the weekends. Only drink like, you know, Friday, Saturday, or you know that sort of thing." And I was like, "Yeah, but what else can we do?" You know, <laughs> that sort of thing. Um, I've noticed personally, and I don't think this is unusual, that when I don't drink or drink very little, it's real easy for me to trim up, and when I'm drinking, it seems to slow that down. Do you have any? do You (laughs) talk about alcohol at all in your book, or how? I don't. That's an interesting
1: thing. Yeah, no, I really don't talk about alcohol. Um,
0: So just drink away. No, I'm kidding. There's a lot of carbs, a lot (laughs) of empty carbs in in, in alcohol. Yeah, no, that'd
1: be a good. That might be a good thing to do. You know like a an instagram post about or whatever and yeah no i'm I'm with you obviously alcohol it's just kind of empty calories you know and i don't i think i mean alcohol is really interesting and then as a society we certainly recognize that some people cannot drink alcohol right some people have an addiction a sure problem and we you know we don't recognize that with sugar um but if somebody asks me like what do you think about drinking alcohol um once again are you metabolically healthy most people aren't don't, don't. You probably don't want to add empty calories if you're not metabolically healthy. But if somebody said like, "Hey, you know, I'm metabolically healthy. I drink a couple times a month or on the weekend," like I'm not, not a I'm not a moralist. No, <laughs> no, you, no. you, you enjoy. You
0: know, yeah, no, I'm not love, either. I
1: love a good glass of wine with my wife, so I'm, um, you of know, course. that that's something that I do and I appreciate. But I, I do think it can become a problem. Yeah, and if you're not seeing weight loss and you're drinking every night, then yeah, you should probably shore that up
0: probably you, know, you can always adapt the, uh, the the thing that i noticed was um as, and i'm older i'm 54 i'm quite a bit older than you but you know the as i get older some of those things you know that i used to be able to do when i was younger when my metabolism was hotter and stuff like that it, it didn't seem to matter quite as much now it's it makes you know you gotta be a lot you have to be a lot more careful with your choices right and i think that's for me it was more about that than anything else
1: <laughs> the margin of error uh, yeah. is a lot less the older yeah. we get, that's for sure. It, it
0: narrows. Um, so tell me, if you don't mind talking about the disorder, the eating disorder, do you know what sort of led you to the eating disorder and what was the path to work your way out of it? And to kind of, have yeah. do you feel like you have overcome it? Was this something that stays with oh. you? Yeah.
1: Well, you know, it's like, it's like anything else in your life. I don't, people like, it's not like you're never, not going to have experienced, you know, trauma or gone through, you know, just the recovery of course. process is incredibly of course. difficult um, and traumatic. You know, and like I said, I was very young, I was 12. And so to be like, Hey, we're shipping you off to Arizona for two months and the 24 hour two feeding system and wow. good luck. <laughs> um, that's, that was hard. And that was scary. Um, I think thankfully as a, as a, you know, I'm, I'm resilient. I'm, just naturally wired to, to want to be driven and determined. Most people, I've actually never met somebody with an eating disorder who's not very driven, determined, intelligent. Right. Um, you know, like I my mom is diagnosed bipolar, struggled with some eating disorder issues and there was some know trauma in our household um growing i'm gonna talk about that in the book like growing up that just i think i think it was the perfect storm you know we don't know genetics versus nature nurture there certainly is to some degree both of those tends to be for eating disorders yeah and then you know working out of it like most of my adult life i was just a high functioning person with an eating disorder you know i always planned i always had food knew what i was eating where i was eating um and so now now i feel like i i'm able to eat in a way where i'm I'm not thinking about it all the time and i think that's that's twofold you know certainly eating a lower carb diet just helps stabilize your blood sugar but also you know i'm getting enough nutrients to help my brain function right you know i don't think i fully appreciated how important like you know, not just the B12 and zinc and other things, but also just some of the cofactors that are in animal protein and how important those are for for brain health and brain functioning.
0: No, it's fascinating, and, and you know, I'm not obviously. It's a complicated issue and a complicated solution. I, I think it's just it's it's interesting to hear how people got into it and how they get out of it. And uh, obviously, there's there's a lot of a lot of complexity there, but the. Uh, it's also sounds like one of the things I noticed when you said you don't really count your calories—that's kind of a big deal. If at a you know, when you're at your level of performance and with your history, to not—you know—it sounds like. You, am I getting this right? That you you kind yeah. of you can feel what you need rather than have to have some calculation.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's funny when you say that. I, I, I flash back to like when I was in college. I had notebooks full of calories and eating this, and then I run mm-hmm. this, and this is about going to be this much minus. So I need this much, like it was awful like it's ridiculous how much it yeah that it controlled my life and everything um so yeah it feels really good to be at a point to where yeah you know i I remember having moments when i first switched to you know the low carb animal based diet that um i was i was grinding we have a meat grinder and we got a bunch of different cuts and i was like i gotta add more fat to this this is you know too lean and i just remember thinking like god I, i didn't used to think like that you know like my thinking shifted to where like this is what I need. This is what's you know makes me feel good,
0: right. and I
1: think that's one of the reasons so many people um, relapse. You know, the relapse rate for eating disorders is astronomically high. I mean, right. statistically they say fifty percent. I'm telling you, it's. I mean, they did a study where it's fifty percent, and that was like going back into hospitalization. I'm sure it's more for just dealing with it. Um, But one of the, I think one of the main reasons too, is people just, they don't want to feel awful. Like you get out of treatment, you're in this very controlled setting, eating the terrible standard American diet, you feel awful, you get out of treatment, it's like, thank God I can stop doing that because I'm anxious, I'm depressed, I'm bloated, I'm gassy, everything hurts. So when you eat in a way where you're, you know, you don't have GI issues and then your brain feels okay, like that's all you want. (laughs) Right, right, your body is trying to correct itself,
0: right? You just ended up in the disorder as part of that correction, even though it's not, Maybe not exactly. It's well, helping you're,
1: you. Yeah. It's amazing to me. We literally have a clinical trial that says this. But like, when you starve yourself, your GI system is inflamed and irritated. So it makes sense, in my opinion. Like, well, why don't we let your GI system like rest? Let's feed it like really, ner- you know, nutrient dense food. Let's not feed it all these sugars and flowers and even fibers initially. So you know, when you eat in that way, it's kind of like you let things heal and calm down. So it's and I've been criticized so much I get mean messages from dietitians like Mm -hmm. telling someone not to eat this way is, you know, you're making eating disorders worse. So you know, all I'm doing is I'm sharing my story. I'm sharing we have some good science. Um, We're going to have more science on eating disorders and low carb diets in the future. But you know, once again, it's like things aren't going well now. So (laughs) if if you've tried it, it's not working.
0: What are the big criticisms? I mean, I'm sure there's like ridiculous criticisms that don't matter, but what are the criticisms that you get from dietitians or other health professionals that um, that generate responses? Right. I mean, some of the, uh, you know, I always say like, you know, look, what people say about us only tells us about them how we react tells us tells them tells the world about us. What are the things that you do respond to that you're like, no, no, we need to talk about this? Uh, What are the top, you know, maybe the top three that you get that that (laughs)
1: <laughs> that trigger well, you just, a little bit, right? Yeah. Truthfully, I don't anymore. I don't respond just because I don't think but <laughs> I in audience. my experience, yeah, <laughs> yeah, people are not interested. I used to think, oh, they they're just they're curious. They want to know the science. They want to have it right. a discussion. 99% of the time they just want to yell at you. From but I, yeah. just to pretend like back when I, I would respond, people used to say, like, hey, telling people to eliminate certain food groups, to, telling people with art with already uh, that already have a you know an issue with food telling them to eliminate food groups is going to make the disorder worse. So, you know, of course, then I would want to talk about, well, let's talk about what those food groups do to your body. I'm talking about blood sugar spikes and crashes. Let's talk about what those food groups potentially do to your brain. Um, Then, like I said, though, they're not interested. And then you know I'm I'm very passionate about I think animal products are very important in the human diet so I get you know angry vegans um there there's ever a group of people that is not interested in that conversation and my yeah. experience that's them um uh, yeah I would say that I think you know we're, we're having more and more research come out on low carbohydrate diet and type two diabetes but people are very um offended when i suggest that we should eliminate sugar or reduce sugar people are very triggered by that um
0: (laughs) it doesn't fit with how we most of us were raised right i mean
1: oh yeah and mean mean messages like it's interesting like man what would cause somebody to like want to send a message and be like you're a terrible person i hate you you know just awful stuff um gosh what else
0: Well, it's it's obviously triggering something in them, right? I mean, this is the thing that gets back to what I said earlier. Like when somebody sends you an emotional message, something has caused them to react, right? And I think obviously we all have biases. Being aware of our biases is very hard work. And I like to say, hey, when something makes me like personally, when something makes me emotionally sort of upset, uh, really, the first question should be, why am I reacting like this, right? And so when somebody's sending you that it's something's not jiving with with something inside them but uh no that's that's fascinating um and and you've stopped responding is is that because you're like oh this obviously this person isn't in yeah, the yeah you know yeah. i
1: have yeah, a limited amount of time i have a lot of stuff to do you know i got a one-year-old shepherd i gotta run i gotta literally run 10 miles i work like i don't got time for that you know right. but to your point you know i am i think one of my strengths is i'm not afraid to be wrong wrong a lot ask my wife right yeah yeah, exactly (laughs) But it's you know but so somebody said hey michelle i want to have a discussion here's the study it's in the opposite of something you said can we talk about this every day and twice on sunday i want to get it right not be right you know i want to be the best possible educator dietitian i can athlete human i can possibly be yeah. Um, but like you said, it tends to be when people come at you, it tends to be very emotion-based, especially around eating animals, you know. So um <laughs> yeah, that.
0: that's no, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, that's that's especially when you say, you know, like the the ethical vegans who, you know, have a problem with animal husbandry or different issues around that. I mean, you can that's where you're gonna somebody's gonna get very vocal. Um, I was just listening to Pete Holmes, a good friend, his podcast. You made it weird with uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, and uh, Neil was saying he's like, you know, just because it doesn't have a brain doesn't mean you're not you're eating the 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 reproductive organs of a plant isn't this isn't ethically better necessarily than eating an animal off the same tree of life. Like basically, it's. You know, it got into a lot of the biases and asking a lot of really good questions about the ethics that that people are kind of, you know, holding on to sort of self-righteously. I think it's kind of fascinating. Um, do you have any thoughts on that?
1: No, I agree. I mean, I, I, it is my theory hypothesis life mission that we should eat in a way to where we are taking care of ourselves, our physical and mental health, so we can take care of each other and take care of the planet. It's sure. important to me, of and course. we've been to do that. We need to respect all life cycles but you know, and that's that's, uh, animals and plants. And so, yes, is industrial agriculture. I mean, anybody with half a brain, we don't want to see animals abused or not have enough room to run around. So -hmm. the best way to do that is to support like regenerative agriculture, you know, where animals get to graze openly. you know so people are so far removed from their food i mean most people have never (laughs) um you know butchered a chicken or even seen this process you know i'm I'm unfortunate i've been involved in a lot of these processes and it's very that's how it's supposed to be we should be you know eating the whole animal because it's going to nourish our body you know the animal should be you know roaming and pooping and we've they even shown you know uh, white oak pastures has shown that when when you do regenerative agriculture their farm actually sequesters carbon back into the soil so for every pound of beef they're actually helping the environment so so yes that's those are my thoughts on that
0: no i think you're right there's lots of great studies on you know if you cook your own food you don't eat as much right because it takes a long time to cook food and it takes more effort or if you're Versus, if you're just opening packages and filling your mouth whenever you feel, you know, the urge to eat. And I, I think there's similar uh, studies that show if you're if you're actually raising the food, you know, the animals, um, you don't waste as much of the animal, right? You're it, it all matters. You're this is something. Yeah, you, you, you
1: feel deeply yeah. connected. You know, even yeah. to we had chickens for a while. Like it's 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 kind of a beautiful thing to watch them run around and eat bugs, and you feel very grateful when you get the eggs. You know,
0: that's amazing. No, that's great. Um, so, uh, last question: You've been through a lot of ups and downs with diet and uh, and per, you know per high performance running at these incredible distances. Um, have you learned more from your successes or your failures?
1: Mm. Gosh, that's that's a really good question. I'm not sure anybody's asked me that in a long time. Um, i i would have to say failures because you i think you're you're not changing if you don't fail right Right, like nobody and i mean in my experience a lot of times people have to feel pretty good like fail pretty hard almost like you know hitting rock bottom um you know if i hadn't lost my health in 2019 i might still be eating the same way i might not have gone on this journey um and in my 100k race i've only run run 100 kilometer race so 62 miles wow. we'd had some pretty torrential rains you can see this on instagram um and so it was a 10 loop course and uh about a mile and a half in i knew it was going to be a slow course because it was just so muddy yeah. but when i hit the three mile mark for about 100 meters it was underwater up to your knees so it's like Oh my God, I'm three miles into a 62 mile race. I've never experienced that. My, my shoes, my socks are going to be soaked.
0: Plus your um, it slows you way down, right? Because you're Oh my a gosh, lot of, it was awful. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. and then at so there's uh, 10 loops at loop seven. I told my wife 42 miles. I said, I'm done. I don't, I don't want to do this. Like everything hurts. I'm tired. Um, I just you're just using so many different stabilizer muscles. It was like running in sand. Right. And she it was like, All right, let's go, I'll take you home um she's like but do you want to walk for just a second like are you going to regret like not finishing or not trying to finish yeah um and as often as the case she's <laughs> right <laughs> yeah. um, many things and so you know in that moment i remember you know reading david doggins book his first book i haven't read the second book yet i can't hurt me is his first book and he said that he he wanted to quit you know and then they told him he's, he wasn't gonna finish and he got up and he was able to finish and i remember at that point thinking like all right, I'm just gonna do one more loop. You know, let's let's do if I do one more loop, it'll be fifty miles and I can go home. And then when I did one more loop and then, you know, my wife and my one of my buddies came out to you. She's like, You you have you just have two more. And the race director's <laughs> like, You're leading the race. You can't drop out. And then after the, you know, then you just have one more loop. And I ran my last loop faster than the the fastest like I, wow. I cannot tell you how that happened i, I mean we're because well, you wanted to
0: get out, out of there yeah i wanted to, <laughs> I, that definitely was true i could not
1: wait i think you know i was just praying i'm like oh one more 100 meters of the stupid but water still that's
0: crazy uh, that's wild yeah. that, that was your fastest loop yeah
1: and i will never forget that though because i i i that's the first time during a race that i just wanted to quit like I, this is it i'm over you know once again just feeling like i want to go home Um, and you learn that that there is a deep you know the human body is so is so much more capable than we, we we believe it to be and i like i said i've said that i believe that with healing but just what we're able to do when your mind just says like no i'm finishing you cannot stop me you will have to drag me out of here um yeah so you know obviously like i shared earlier my epic failure of trying to qualify for the Olympic trials and losing my health. Like I was able to show myself that your body can rebuild. And in this really terrible race, <laughs> I was able to my mind to say, like, yeah, we're going to finish this, we're going to do this. Um,
0: Those are three so, yeah. incredible examples. Oh, that's thank really you. good. Thank you. No, no, thank you. That's uh, I asked. I like to ask that question. Um, I happen to agree with you that um, I always think like success is great. It's fun to, it's fun to win. Don't tend to learn that much from it. It's like, Hey, high five, you know, awesome.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Where like
0: failure. If you're, you know, if you pay attention to it and learn from it, it can be an amazing teacher. And, uh, not that we go out looking for failure, but when we have significant failure, we we have to change stuff. Right. it just forces us to, to think differently or examine our bias or figure out what the heck's going on. I, I, I think, uh, I think that's incredibly true. Um, so thank you for that. Thanks for, thanks for confirming my bias.
1: <laughs> You're welcome. Anytime.
0: <laughs> um, well, thank you for joining. I know, you You know, I don't want to over overextend uh, our time today, but I really appreciate this interview R- incredibly helpful. Uh, you, I think you've debunked a lot of, you know, kind of urban legends around nutrition and diet and given us uh, some great things to think about in, in terms of how we use uh, diet and exercise to increase our performance and just, live healthier lives. Thank you.
1: You're so welcome. Thanks so much for having me on.
0: Thank you for joining another episode of the Kick Aspirational Podcast. You know, the most important thing to remember is this is not a spectator sport. What I'm deeply interested in is hearing about your stories and answering your questions. What does your life look like? What are you trying to accomplish? What are the barriers that you're trying to break through? Because at the end of the day, the Kick Aspirational Podcast is about helping people break through barriers of their own. I'd love to hear what you're working on. I'd love to join you in your battles. And most importantly, whatever you do today, please, among all other things, be Kick Aspirational aspirational